it's hard work but it's not bad work and there's and I would love not the glamour to come back into growing food because it's not a glamorous job but it's certainly a noble thing and we have to eat this week and really for this fortnight on dirty linen we have talking we have been talking about people about people working in food businesses. One of the things that I've been hearing a lot about is the difficulty of getting workers onto farms, whether it's uh, picking fruit or vegetables, uh, fixing fences, just all the many things that need to happen on farms, particularly at this time of year when produce needs to be picked, it's very time sensitive. Uh, so I did a bit of a call out and I'm super happy that I've come across Nina Myers who has a berry farm called Bimbimbi Farm in northeast Victoria. Welcome Nina, I'm super happy to have you on Dirty Linen today. Thank you very much Danny. I have got lots of things to think about and talk about so I'm happy to share what I can on my perception of this situation. Yeah, brilliant. Well first of all set the scene for us. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your husband and about Bimbimbi Farm. Well. I think I could be called the accidental farmer. Uh, I'm, I'm 60 and a few years ago, everyone knows the Monash Freeway, don't they? I mean, if you travel around in Victoria, you know the Monash car park. And my husband is a tradie. He was a tradie. And he said one day he's sitting in traffic for sometimes three and a half hours a day. And he came home and he just said, look, I'm sick of this. His brothers are very successful farmers in northeast Queensland. They're very big passion fruit growers. And, and he said, um, I'd like to be a farmer before I get too old. He's a few years younger than me. We've been together 33 years now. And I said, oh, how hard is it? Sure, I've got YouTube. I'm, I'm a technology person. And so we ended up um, selling all our, our house, little house and our investment place. And, um, and uh, he promised me this lovely old farm with... Um, you know, the picturesque things, you sit out in the veranda and you look in the beautiful trees and anyway, that didn't exist so we ended up buying a bare-ass block of land, no power, no water, no infrastructure and apparently it wasn't windy the day we bought it but it's been windy ever since and, uh, and so we live in a six-kilometre wide uh, wind tunnel <laughs> and we set up all the infrastructure and I... And, I was able to port my business from web developing, which I've done since 1996. I told my clients, oh, I'm going to go farming. And um, then I had to put, you, you've got to load things onto your husband. And I said, well, I want to be organic. I'm not growing with chemicals. And then I said, I like strawberries. I'm not happy with onions. And, you know, so I had all these things. I want greenhouses. I want raspberries. And, and uh, God bless that man who tried to make me happy. So we have greenhouse, greenhouses, we have raspberries, we have blueberries and we have strawberries and the strawberries we are growing at the moment is because predominantly we will be blueberry growers but you need to have cash flow. So we ended up um, buying this land and paying a fortune for power and fortune for a bore, you know, I've got a drone and I've got a thermomix when we got here <laughs> and I've droned a lot of my journey because I, I found that most people have no idea where food comes from and I am the perfect person to know where nothing comes from. I'm just a city slicker. So subsequently we're now four years in, completed our uh, certification. We are certified organic and um, I don't know why people think it's very, very hard. It is hard but it's a discipline and I think if you're not disciplined, there's a lot of things you shouldn't be doing. Um, and 
and I've just tried to be different to other people because I can't compete with the big boys. I don't have the history that all these wonderful farmers have got. I don't have the generational history. Um, I'm, you know, I'm growing fruit that is out of the band of, um, out of the normal band of farming um, up here. So it's been quite a quite an eye opener. Wow. I mean, so you started with this vision of a rural idyll. It sounds like uh, you, it hasn't quite been like that, uh, but you must have learnt so much uh, on this four-year journey. What are some of the things that really surprised you or shocked you about what you've had to create there? Um, you can always talk about the money on things because we had a budget. And um, we've put most of our money into this. So, so I sacrificed the house. So you can imagine that I had this idea I'd be in the house in the second year. And subsequently now we're deciding will we build next year. Um, I, I think what I've learned is uh, the lack of honour in growing food strikes me as being so significant that the food chain, the, the way we've democratised food, is that food has no value anymore like it used to have. I can remember as a young child, because, you you know, being 60, um, I can remember as a young child going with my mother to the supermarket, not to the um, greengrocer, and saying what we wanted, and he'd pick the apples out, and he'd put them in a bag for us, and we'd take them home. And the food bill was, at the time, I think, um, I think the food, when I looked at my stats, was around 30% of the wages. So food had a value. It was expensive and people um, valued what they ate. I can remember feeding the horses in in in, um, in Melbourne, the, the, the milk horses. I'd give them a jam sandwich, you know, I'd get out there with a jam sandwich once a week. I'd get milk, bottle, milk in my school bottle, uh, milk bottles with little, that 300 ml bottle with that milk in it at morning tea. And, and the, the whole thing about food, it has shocked me that um, people have no idea on the work involved to feed people and the glamour, there's a glamour on eating your food at a beautiful restaurant, but behind the scenes, the dirty work and the hard work to grow food is, is um, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's a shame that people don't want to grow food because it's a diminishing market. It, like agriculture used to be a noble thing and now, unfortunately, I feel it's, um, oh, shoot, I've got nothing I've got no work, I have to go and to get a job picking. I'm thinking it's hard work but it's not bad work and there's, and I would love not the glamour to come back into growing food because it's not a glamorous job but it's certainly a noble thing and we have to eat. I think was it, um, who was one of the Marxists, you know, one of these communist um, leaders said, you're only three meals away from a revolution. That's just right. You've got to eat. And somehow we've we've just we've just totally trashed it. That's just my view. Yeah, I mean, there's so much in in what you're saying. I think we've certainly seen through the pandemic that uh, we've seen the fragility of the supply chains, and we've and we've seen how um, even a perception of scarcity causes panic. So people somewhere down there they do value they do value being able to you know buy the things that they um think that they need you know at the time that they think they need them so there is a value in that in in a negative sense in that there's there's you know panic buying when people feel like they might not be able to go to the shops and get everything on their list but it's interesting that you spoke about this um 
this devaluing of food as a democratization of food because normally we would think of democratization uh, as a as a good thing you know that perhaps food becomes more accessible um, so can you just sort of tease that out a little bit you know why why is this, is this form of democratization a devaluing and a negative uh, because in the end the people who grow the food <clears throat> they can't make money they do they take shortcuts or um, or they go out of business and I've noticed um, I'm reading a lot, of, like to me, uh, I'll give just a little bit of an insight. Back in 2007, I remember going to Chadston and they'd done some renovations and I remember standing and looking at the awe of this. I love the shape of Chadston that, you know, you go and have a look at the building inside. I remember going there when it opened in 1969 as a young child. Not, it didn't open. It was That's when I remember seeing Chadston, the changes. So, but what happened was I, I stood there one day and I thought, what are we doing what is happening? All we've got is stuff. We've got stuff. We're being sold something, the, and and people would buy um, people would buy shoe, spend more money on shoes and furniture in the eighties than they did on food. But what happens is, um, to me, I think that there's a real power play going on here. That big farms now, uh, they buy and buy and buy up things, and in the end, they, they squeeze out the competition. But they also do, uh, dominate the market, and I was interested. I was doing some research, and I found that I think um, six companies in the world own about eighty-six percent or something, or eighty percent of the seeds, fertilizer, um, uh, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides. That's owned by six companies in the world. So if you can imagine the amount of food that we need to grow, that we now control the narrative on um, pe big people sitting on boards uh, um, are telling you that you, how you need to grow your food and they control, it's, it's, it is like a control, um, it sounds like I'm being a conspiracy theorist, but I'm just looking at the analytics as to why do things happen. Um, I think in the, at, the end, at the end of the, um, I, I, everything, to make something, to be able to work out where something is now, often you have to look backwards as to how did we get there. And I think a lot of it is the fact that we have a generation of people who have never suffered in, in, in a war, they've never had the pain or the need for unity, and they've never had to band together to survive. And it sounds very primitive, but you can pick up food anywhere. The food may not have value. But you can pick up cheap food anywhere, so the context of what food is has changed. The fact that we're talking about fake meat, you know, and I just because now the the big tech giants they own a lot of these businesses that now they want to tell us that meat is bad for us because they control the narrative on meat is not really meat and not really good for you. It's just like I know it sounds very broad. But I can only look at it from a very small farmer's point of view that um, I'm trying to, I'm starting a business, I've come in with very little knowledge and I've come in to do something that I think is better, better way of farming, smaller, um, regenerative farming, um, questioning how we do things. We are so tight on water, we do things efficiently and the battle that I have, I'm not big enough. Um, uh, that you don't get taken seriously, it couldn't be profitable, 
all these things that when you go and I think I can see why people don't want to do farming because the narrative that we're given these days about farming is that it's not worth it. It's it's just too hard. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I've got so many images going through my mind as, as you're speaking and I think one of them, you know, is this, this massive international machine that is commodity farming yeah. and, you know, for me even the fact that that ingredients, things that people are going to put into their bodies are traded, you know, on the futures market, they're traded as commodities, not as foods, is um, is very telling and it's very disconnected from the purpose of food and the honourable art of growing it. And then I sort of, you know, zoom in, you know, from this big international machine uh, to you on your on your patch of land which is which is small and which you're sort of battling the elements and and battling this I guess enormous task that you've taken on but at the same time you are yeah you are small in the scheme of things but what is more satisfying and real than uh, being able to pick a perfect strawberry that somebody can eat, they can taste the sunshine, they can taste the sweetness. I mean, they can really feel connected to you and the labour and commitment that you've put into that strawberry. So I think no, you know, that not- that is the kind of food that, that really nourishes. Yes, it, there's nourishment in it. But and but I'm going to be realistic that it's not on the back of some of these little virgins in the in the field laying down in the with their little hair nets on and all this stuff and plucking one at a time, there's a commercial reality to it as well. There's got to be a balance. But I found I found it um, odd that these big companies, the go-woke, go-broke companies, they have got an agenda. They don't employ our young people anymore to do anything. We are sending our children off to university to become social scientists and live their social, all the social um, engineering type of jobs or uh, that we do now, are never about doing anything. They're about ideas. You can't, you know, you you can, I can put a projection forward to my bank and tell them how awesome my ideas are. But if I can't back it up with facts that I've actually done something, how there's no relevance. So we have a generation of people now who are ideas people. They don't actually contribute. And unfortunately, they make decisions. They make decisions for us without actually knowing anything they've, they've like um, I know a lot of people hate Tony Abbott I, I, I wasn't a fan I'd, like I'm just just explaining that man in government you didn't hear about the, the red tape that he removed so that we could actually um, get um, paperwork through things quicker so that we didn't have to wait six months to get something we could wait two weeks he cut a lot of the red tape and I was unaware of that I mean, let's get concrete and talk about the people that you need to to work on your farm this spring, this summer, and let's just explain the situation. Like, how how hard is it to find people to come and pick strawberries? Well, we made a decision on Monday that our best crop that we've ever had, because we have had to fail, we've had such. Uh, I didn't know what good good was until this year. I thought good was every year because I wasn't in the city. But um, now I know when you get the the mix right, when you get the nutrition, you get some good weather weather patterns happening, and um, and we had stunning fruit. We had we have got tons and tons of fruit on our patch, and we made a decision on Monday. Most of it will go to freezing or thrown out. And the hard part, we get a second crack of this. But if I were, you know if I had something, a lot of farmers won't. 
we um, apply, we get backpackers in. So last year being small, we, we had only um, 16 backpackers for the season and, and um, we thought we might need 20 this year. And now you've got a scale list that I am small. So if you can imagine someone with 300 staff that they need, they are in the shit because there is nobody. So we all we would advertise on Harvest Trail, the government site last year, and um, that's non-existent this year. Um, we we um, we advertised on uh, Facebook. Um, got a few things on Facebook, but I was unprepared on how much staff we needed and how urgently when you've got highly perishable seasonal fruit that has a six-week span or it's gone for that, that flush. And so I, um, the government, in um, when COVID came around, the government did do something, and I don't agree with the government in many things, but they were fantastic in setting up this uh, Sidekicker product. And one thing I notice is a lot of people don't educate themselves. A lot of farmers, a lot of people don't, they, they look at something at face value, but I thought I'm going to do the seminars, I'm going to do the webinars, I'm going to get to know this. I need staff. So we advertised a little bit early and we had 70 people apply in September, but we couldn't take them all because the fruit wasn't ready. Um, then we advertised again in October and we advertised on Facebook. I need to have people to pick, but I what I realised was I'm not gonna, I've got two backpackers from Italy who are with us and we'll keep them for the whole season. But my fruit volume was so high that I needed 20 people to be here and I have eight. So what happens is when you've got perishable fruit, <laughs> you look at the temperature and you think, is it overcast? Oh, no. Is it sunny? Yep, that's a shit because you cannot pick the fruit when it's hot. You know, it bruises. Then you let it sit for the day. Then it gets scalded. Then it gets cooked. And then it sits on top of the other fruit. <clears throat> and then you've got to pick it off and throw it on the ground or you can't send it off. Uh, and then you throw it back down on the ground. <laughs> and you think, I've now, and if you don't clean the plant up because we're organic, the fruit then just obviously, um, you know, you get mould and... Um, disease you've got to keep around your plants reasonably clean and so you're paying people with money you don't have on fruit you can't send and fruit now that is not going to be at the markets for people to actually eat so the good side is that you actually can get a higher price for your fruit that's a nice thing to have but because you're organic well yes for us we're organic we, and there's not a lot of people but even even the other strawberry growers with milk see we've only we've only got um we've got, we've only got about thirty five thousand plants other people have got millions that's why you get white fruit because they're just all about numbers and we're about um we're a different market so what happens now is that um you've got to pay people to pick the fruit or clean the plant up because if you don't you will get disease so you're running in deficit. So if I've got fruit, for example, that I'm getting, um, you know, if I'm going to process it, I need to make sure they can pick more than than they're, than, they're, than I'm paying them because they cost me, if I work a nine-hour day, they're costing me $243 a day. And if they work on cup day, which they did, they're costing me $46 an hour to pick a strawberry. So you can see the value, right? And sometimes... And then you've got to pack it, okay? That's just picking. Then you've got to pack it. Then I've got to pay for the punnets. 
then, I've, then I'm having trouble getting punnets because there's a shipping strike in Sydney. And now I'm thinking, well, can I get my punnets for next February? Can I actually pack my fruit when I get it picked? I want to go to all this trouble and get my packer, pickers and packers. Can I actually get it out the door now? Because there's a strike and, and there's, a, there's been a shortage on some punnets. So a lot of people talk about, um, a lot of people are saying, you know, okay, if there aren't backpackers, why don't you just employ locals? Uh, can you talk about that? Look, I'm, I um, we've got some couple of great locals in. Because farming is regarded as a shit job, what do you think you're going to get in general when people's attitude is, I can't do anything else, I'll just do that? You get the people who are um, often, um, they're in not in a good place. And it's sad, really, because um, we've got a couple of good people now who would like to train up. Uh, they're country people. But people have lives. So for me, normally I would get, if I had 15 people here, I've got 15 people working for 88 days and they come and do their work. But I'm now dealing with maybe 25 people to get eight people. So I've got to do wages for 25 people, of which one's here one day, one's here five hours, one can't come in, one can work weekends, and and then they've got Centrelink or then they've got, oh, my, then they've got problems. It's like all of a sudden I'm Dorothy Dix and I don't mind it, but, my gosh, I'm up to my neck in trying to manage in the first place and I will never be, pre I will never be a Prime Minister because I want to tell you what I think. You cannot be that person. So I generally don't go out. <laughs> I don't go out to, <laughs> no, Nina stays far away, far away, and my husband is the most wonderful man who talks to people, <laughs> and I generally don't. Sounds dreadful, doesn't it? <laughs> That's the reality. Well, I mean, it just sounds like you've got a lot, you've got a lot, to, a lot going on, and it's obviously easier if you've got a backpacker that doesn't have any other commitments, and they can work the full eight hours, um, and yeah, they don't have children to pick up, or yeah, yeah, they can, they've got so the working holiday visa holders, they they if they want to get a second year on their visa, they need to do eighty eight days in the country, and so that's where a lot of the rural task workforce comes from. And I think that I don't think that. Um hear people saying, oh, give it to our locals. I have tried to throw it at our locals, right? Now, um, and, and I have to be fair, you, you, we are seasonal. We can't ask people, locals, we can't ask a local to go and just say, you know, work here, by the way, it's going to rain tomorrow, don't come in. It's unfair. It's, it's an unfair expectation. And then to ask people to leave, live, leave where they're living and move to God knows where, to a place where they charge exorbitant rent because there's nowhere to live and they need an influx of people to do really, um, uh, like we're an easy farm to work at. We've got sitting, we've got trolleys and cover and we're nice to our staff. And a lot of farms, I hear some horror stories that are not pleasant and it embarrasses me that this is how some people do business. But whether it's farming or not, there are assholes in business, whether, which in whatever industry. But you've got to be nice to people when you need them. Have you got people that would do it? Have you got people that would do it for cash but won't do it on the books? Yep, we won't pay. We won't employ them. I'm not in the business to like. This is the thing. Um, I there's, there's this idea of um, look. If I go to the markets and I and and, uh, and I get some cash in, I might buy my milk and bread. But we put all our money in the bank. We're a business, and I say to people. If you want me to pay you cash, you are asking me to take it out of money I have to declare that I have earned 
and paid tax on to pay you, but it doesn't work like that. You know, but the job seeker thing is a problem, and I and I think it's a problem because they they need to allow people to earn. Uh, see, if they if they start working with me, and they're on job seeker, it's cut off completely. It puts people in a very vulnerable situation that they're sort of all of a sudden they're getting not much because you know handouts are to keep you on on the poverty line, just to manage barely, um, and. They don't have the security, but if they said, you know what, on Job Seeker, we're going to let you earn, that was my husband coming in, um, if we're going to let you earn $200, uh, we've got a screen door now, I'm excited, um, they're going to let you earn $200 extra a week without affecting your um, without affecting your Job Seeker, then people, might, um, then people might be more inclined to work that there's less risk, maybe, but, um, but at the end of the day, um, we're finding that most of the most of the people who get job seeker don't want to work. They just don't want to work. Why would they? It's a shitty job. It's a dirty job. I can sit at home. I can buy my cheap food. It's got nothing in it, but I can buy it. What? How do we solve this? How do we solve this, Nina? Because I suppose there's a few things that are going on. It's like this is a very tricky year because there aren't backpackers around, so it's really hard for you to find enough people to come and pick the fruit but uh, but it the bigger problem really is what you said at the beginning which is about farming not being valued and not being um, seen as as a good thing to do that's what you have to change because you can't um, and a lot of these things are it's the same with them how people get trapped I think into conventional farming that they get locked in and get taught in agriculture get taught that this is what you need to do they get taught by the big companies who want you to get onto their onto their um, fertilizer, pesticide, and GMO seed? Because that's where they make the money from you. They're in they're in, they're embedded in the universities in how we teach. We need to be able to teach people about the value about why food has value and why it is okay to be a farmer, why it is okay to do the job, and um, and not have this prize that your children should go to university and become data modelers. On, on a reality that doesn't exist. We need a balance because we do need some big farms. I mean, obviously growing wheat is a bigger, you know, you're not going to do that on my size land, but there's, there's, but there is um, getting more connected actually to the outside. You know, when they have children who have got troubles, they put them out often on farms or with animals or outdoors. They get them grounded and outside and feeling that there's, there's, um, there's value in doing something. But now, I think people get unhappy because they're not really doing anything of actual um, real value, of tangible value. If you grow something, even if you grow your own vegetables, I tell people, grow your own veggies. Grow them yourself. And, and the value there is you get to see something from the start and you get to, there's a reward. But there's not many rewards in things that are tangible now. They're all visual rewards. That's just my perception. Uh, look. Yeah. I'm looking at it. well. I mean, as a as a as a web designer, you've you, I guess you've been very much in that digital space and creating things that appear on screens. And uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite quite a different world now that you've created for yourself. No, I've had a lot. You know, I talked to you about that standing in Chadston and thinking that you know what what's what's the purpose of all this stuff. I find with technology, it has been a love hate relationship because I feel. I feel like I'm in, um, I'm empowering businesses with the leverage of using technology, but 
sometimes technology sucks the life out of you that it doesn't give back in the way you have to actually um you know if you're selling something on ebay you get that money in the bank but it's it's the packing of the goods and it's the shipping of the goods and it's getting that customer feedback that's where the satis you know that's where you get this um feeling that you're doing something and and i think with technology the project i'm working on now it's called kindharvest.ag this um uh, um an, a network platform for farmers specifically for farmers um it's given me this wonderful uh um balance of between the fact that i've been frustrated with technology and where it's going and uh and the fact that well i can actually use my evil for good <laughs> that sounds so that sounds so casual but it's true like uh, i've struggled with it it's such a uh it's such a conundrum you know you've talked about the 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 um you've really produced something when you when you've grown some food but then the converse of that when the system's broken in such a way that that food has to rot on the ground and it can't be actually sold and eaten um i mean that just must be a really devastating feeling yes i'm glad we weren't talking on monday i was very sad well it is really sad i mean you put everything into it and that's i mean that must be the the saddest thing for a farmer is that the food can't be can't fulfill its purpose or your labor hasn't fulfilled its purpose or your investment and you're losing money at the same time because uh, because i don't think people are aware that like for us when you pick a strawberry we've been working on this uh, on this particular field uh since probably uh, you know sometimes 6 months because uh because for us in particular like you've got an orchard and an orchard doesn't just grow 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 the fruit every year an orchard has to be trimmed and cleaned and um pruned and and um you have to work on the nutrition side of things things never happen just overnight and so i know i've got my husband of saying look we can't afford to pay people uh look we can't afford to pay we've got to look at it logistically it's going to cost me 2000 or $3000 in a day for wages or whatever it's going to be i am not going to um uh on if i can't get that money back and some then what is the point but he says i'll put all this time into it but and it's like but what is the point if you if you've got to throw the money away so there's this anxiety you get this anxiety because we've already invested that money in there farmers to me i think too it's 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 interesting to note that farmers are often the financiers of so many things and they they pay for everything beforehand before the fruit goes out the door and then you're told that you have to wait sometimes even some of these big supermarkets 45 days and uh, even to the point where some of the big supermarkets hold your chip pallets and your chip pallets they turn over over 30 days but they don't pull them out of stock until 45 so they get an extra month this is like a lot of things in cahoots with others um that i find very distasteful you know um but this is big companies and we put ourselves um in 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 globalization we trust and i am so dead against this globalization because we need to fix ourselves before we try to fix the world you know i don't want to feed the world i don't want to get told i need to feed the world i don't want to export i want to know i grow a great product where i can make some money and and employ some people and make a difference because the risk of even exporting there's so many things that um you you're told you should aspire to but they don't sit well with me hence i spend a lot of time on my own mm. still i spend a lot of time on my own <laughs> reading about things <laughs> so nina are you are you glad that you're there 
absolutely love it. Do you it. have any regrets? Um, no, I don't have any. No, the regret I have is that I didn't apply for organic certification. I thought I should have applied for organic certification a year earlier because you really only need the land. You didn't need to have to grow anything, but I thought you needed to be growing things. And um, that's about – no, it's not even a regret. It's, you know, I'm happy where I am with all the difficulties because I'm 60 and most people are thinking of retiring. And to me, I've just started this wonderful career in educating people about how wonderful, how delicious good food tastes and how good it is for you. The nutrition in our food is far higher because of the nutrition we put into the plant. The plants are healthy. You know, you go in the field and there's something wonderful when you step out and look around you and you think, thank God I don't live in Korea. I don't live in China. I've, you know, I've got choices. So I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an optimist. I just throw shit at the fans sometimes. And, and I just, you know, you throw mud at the wall, you throw mud at the wall and hope some sticks. But sometimes I said the mud this time must go through a high-speed fan. So it's all just it's a, it's a mess. Uh, and that's just nothing to do with us. But, you know, in 2019, April 2019, we lost all our crop to deer. There was such hot weather, the grass got burnt, the deer moved down from the ranges and came and ate our crop <laughs> literally over overnight. So that finished our season. And we had to then go and buy more fruit, uh, more plants and plant them and we, we went into that year into the deficit. On the very first pick that we did on October the 27th last year, we had a hailstorm that came in and we had no fruit at all. It got completely wrecked by a hailstorm. On top of that, we then had the bushfires. Now we didn't, we weren't in the bushfire area. We were in the, we were in the area of the smoke. So for eight weeks, we had no sunshine. So we had no fruit growing. And when we finally got fruit to grow, we had 130 mil of rain in a week or something. So I, I, I learned, you know, you think, huh, shit happens. And this year, I am so, it's just an unexpected thing because we're not, planning on having a staff shortage. That's the part that I think hits a lot of people. They're just not expecting a, a staff shortage when you had the backpackers to help you. I don't know how many farmers have ever had this bad a situation. I have got people who rung me up and offered to work for me for $40 an hour, though. That's nice. <laughs> they said, you need us urgently? I, I, I'm broke. I'm from Vanuatu, or was it? And I need work, but I will work for you for $40 an hour. Me and my friends will come up. And it's like, no, you won't. <laughs> and what would the normal hourly rate be? It's $24, uh, it, it, but including super, and it's $27. $24.80 is the casual rate. So it serves. Yeah. So you're not in a position to pay anyone $40 an hour? It's not worth it. It's not a bloody mind thing. I mean, I mean, like, we couldn't. We just couldn't. You, you can't make some things viable because you don't know how much someone's going to pick. We pay for bad people here. We pay because we, we pay by the hour. Most, most places, a lot of places, pay by, by piece rate. And they're really struggling because if you, you've got to work hard to get your money, we just want you just to turn up and work reasonably well. We're not even we're not, we're not even we're not even a high bar thing. I make biscuits sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a very good inducement, Nina. It's really um, 
you've given me so much food for thought. You've definitely made me feel like eating a number of punnets of your strawberries. Uh, I hope that you are able to find enough staff to pick the next flush that comes through. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wish you fine weather, no deer and uh, willing, skilled workers to get you through. But thank you so much for um, sharing the news from Bim Bim Bill Farm. Really great to have you on the show. It's been a pleasure and I know it's been a lot of different thinking uh, approach, but this is just my observation from coming in as a new farmer and, um, and I just would love to see more people take that plunge and just grow some fantastic food because it's wonderful conversations you have around food. It's always about the social aspect of eating a great meal with friends. There you go. Thank you. Definitely. It's, yep. Thank you so much. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.